All right. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening again. Today we have uh, from St. Cloud Apollo, Jason Allen. Coach, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate the invite. Uh, so as we start things off here, we always go, what's your Wikipedia page? Uh, I know you just had a long drive to, to Indiana today, so I, I didn't even realize you were from out of state. Uh, so mm -hmm. talk to me where you're from, where you played, and then what led you to uh, the Eagles bench? Um, I'm from Muncie, Indiana. Um, it's probably it's about the same size as St. Cloud, except it has a University of Ball State here. Um, a couple of hometown legends played at Ball State, Bonzi Wells, Dwayne Clemens, guys I played against in high school. Um, I went to high school at Muncie Central, uh, played there for four years, and then ended up after high school, I actually didn't go to college right away. Right? I stayed at home because I, I didn't know if I was ready for college, and it really wasn't. Most of the offers I got was junior college, and I was kind of in that mindset that if it wasn't, you know what I mean, one of those big schools, then I wasn't going to uh, try and go to college. Then I ended up going to uh, Highland Community College, played there for two years. After Highland, ended up going to St. Cloud State, played there for two years under Coach Kevin Slagle and assistant coach Matt Reimer, who is now the head coach. Um, also played there with uh, two coaches that's in our conference, um, and I mean in our conference and sections, in our sections, Nate Miller, and in our conference, Forrest Witt, I played there with them. Uh, then after that, I really wasn't doing anything, working at a couple factories, playing in some man's leagues, and then kind of like hit rock bottom in life. You know what I mean? Just kind of, I was struggling, and uh, I ran into Brett Carmichael, and he told me that he had a, a AAU, AAU program called Minnesota Lockdown. So I'm like, hey, you need any help? He like, we may need some help. I'll give you a call in a couple of days. Uh, he gave me a call. Me and him had a conversation. Uh, then John, who also started uh, Minnesota Lockdown, called me on three when they was like, hey, we want to have you on the staff. So my first two years on the staff, I was just an assistant, really trying to understand the game. But, but before I got on the sidelines to coach AAU, I thought I really knew the game because I played basketball. I was wrong. Just because you play basketball does not mean you're going to be a good basketball coach, and I found that out. Um, so like I said, I was assistant for uh, the first two years. My first year under Brett, because John coached an older group and Brett coached, coached a younger group. So my first year under Brett, I really was just trying to learn the game, observing things. Then going into my second year, I started learning the game, observing the game, but then watching the game from a different standpoint to see what my coaching philosophy would be if I ever would be a head coach. Because at that time, I didn't think about being a head coach or anything. And so then the third year came back, and I had got hired on at uh, North Junior High here in St. Cloud. And while I met um, the – it's like an orientation we have here every year for the school year. While I'm there, I run into Dean Kessler. He's like, hey, Jay, would you be willing to uh, – do you want to help uh, be a volunteer? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was really nervous then because at that time, AAU is totally different from high school. And, and, and so the same year I became the uh, volunteer coach for the Eagles, I'd be able to become my own head coach for Powerhouse. And so both of, the, both of that worked out well because I was learning from – but at the same time, I was learn learning from John and Brett. So I was learning from two people that had to do that uh, had associations with Apollo. So anyway, make a long story short, Dean ended up retiring, and then Enoch Dix ended up becoming the head coach, and I became the top uh, assistant coach, which was the head, head JV coach. Um, then that next year, he wasn't brought back. Uh, the job was open. Uh, I, I applied for it, and honestly, I did not think I was going to get the job because if you think about it, I didn't have no really no high school coaching experience. I had two years, one year of being a head coach at AAU, I had uh, two years of being an assistant under Dean, so I didn't think – I mean, one year under Dean, one year under Enoch, I didn't think I was going to get it. And time went on, and so as soon as Dave uh, had told me I had applied, he like, I want you to be the interim head coach. So when you're the interim head coach, you got to do everything like the head coach is supposed to be. And I'm still doing all this, like open, doing open gym, um, off-season weightlifting, 
Um, as kids or as players are having problems in school, I'm dealing with that, still being intern, not knowing I'm being the head coach. But at the time, once the job came, I felt like I could be good if I got it. You know, so I got hired and um, there it was from there. You know, I got hired and when I first got hired, my thing was to change the culture because the year before that, we was really in some samples. You know, it really wasn't wasn't no discipline. I didn't feel like guys were playing hard. And so I knew once I got the job, those were my two things was to bring discipline to the, to the program on and off the court on and off the court and make sure guys played hard every game. You know, and those are things I, I definitely want to hit on here down the road, but I want to touch on the AAU thing first. I know sometimes the, un, I'll even, you know, maybe I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but the unintelligent basketball fan likes to throw some shade at AAU and think, oh, it's bad basketball. And, and that's just not true, right? That couldn't be further from the truth. We've talked about this before how much both of our yeah. guys, we have guys who usually kind of overlap on different AAU teams kind of be in you know, half an hour east of you guys. And, you know, if, if it's Comets, if it's Powerhouse, like you mentioned, if you're getting into the heat, Crossfire, there's, you know, there's good AAU coaches and there's really good programs and, and good situations for kids. But I don't know, what's the biggest thing that you were able to take from AAU and apply to being a high school coach? Well, particularly at Apollo, if you know most AAU teams, depending on if you're coaching a top team or a second team, they're stacked. Everybody was the man at their team. Right. So I think a and then coming back at Apollo, we had about six, seven guys that probably could have started for us and play heavy minutes. Well, we weren't able to do that. Well, AAU was able to help me be able to figure out how to play guys, you know, at a certain make sure everybody not got equal playing time, but they played enough minutes to where they were able to help us. And that's what AAU does. And I also think it helps you control at some point egos not saying it's bad egos but every kid from a top AAU team was the man on their team you gotta explain just like when uh coach k took over for the olympics team and he had to explain to kobe lebron and wade you gotta explain to guys like we gotta be able to share the ball yeah you'll get yours but we gotta do it collectively as a team if we don't we're not gonna win as a unit i think that's what happens in aau too sometimes is that you get some teams that just play freestyle ball well now you got a lot of coaches who actually coach in aau like they would coach a, a organized high, high school basketball team like we practice we got sets we uh we got out of bound plays and before i remember aau used to be just just roll the ball out there and play but i think it has changed over time so i, I definitely agree with that there's uh, like i said there's really good coaches really good programs that are you know they're helping kids improve a lot during the during the off season uh you know you you know done this now for a couple of years at apollo and obviously you guys had a really good season this past year you know we're ranked in the top 10 for a lot of the year I know we had a really exciting first game of the year where oh, yeah. it was pretty, was much first, pretty much first to 100. It felt like for a while there was going to win that game. Uh, and you yeah. guys came out on top. But obviously you guys had a good season. You kind of had a, a weird situation in that you're one of the few schools. Like So we had our section final. Like I've talked about many times on different people I've had on here. We played our section final game as normal up north, up north in Duluth. But you guys actually had the – what was expected was the 50 people or the parents only or crowd in your section final game. So before I want to talk about like just the adversity dealing with those kids after winning that game, talk about how weird that was going into the section final with such a small crowd. You know, we expect high school basketball section final pack gym, but you guys, you know, I remember looking at the clips on Twitter. It was like, it was a scrimmage, you know, for the crowd yeah. that was at your game. So just talk about that experience. Cause that was so unique. So I think you're the only team that played in a, in that modified crowd, uh, at least on the boys side. Yeah, it was tough because we didn't find out that we were going to have a modified crowd probably to about 2 o'clock and the bus post leave at 5. So now it goes from focusing on the game plan and, you know, everything else to try to get the guys ready for the game too. We got to find out who's going to be able to come to the game, how many tickets can we have, 
Uh, then players got to realize, oh, I can't, I, I may have to tell this person they can't go to the game. Coaches may say, hey, I have to tell this person I can't go to the game. So mentally, you all worry. You're not even worried about the game no more. You're worried about who's going to come because you want to be able to keep your mental, you know what I mean, focused. So once we was able to get that took care of, which took a while because there were some people that needed to come for the kids that couldn't come. And I felt bad for that too. But like I told them, we only can control what we can control. And what we can control is how we come out and play in this game tonight. And so I think we didn't really get focused until we actually got inside the gym. But it's weird because even when I was talking to Forrest before the game, we expected for Melrose to have a packed house. Because that, that, that was a good game. If you think about it, we beat them once and they beat us once. So it was, and, and they were playing good towards the end of the season. We were still trying to get together coming off a four-game losing streak towards the end of the season. So, you know, we were able to kick it in high gear in sections. And then you get to that game and you expect it to be, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 people. And there's probably 100 people there. You know, and it was weird, but it was weird, but it was loud. Alex fans was loud. They sat right behind our bench. They was loud, and our fans was loud. Like I told our players, you may never get another chance of playing a game like this. Don't take it for granted based on the crowd. You know, you guys had, uh, you know, I really liked your guys' your, your, your reaction from the bench and, and your guys' little locker room video that came up on Twitter. You know, I thought that was really cool. And those are some, that's some of the funnest part about March basketball, seeing those teams, you know, like, like us in Princeton or you guys at St. Claude Apollo, who, you know, obviously Dean had some really good teams there that, you know, made it into the state tournament. But, you know, for the last few years, haven't had that success at the section level. And seeing just the joy of those kids winning that section final, just talk about how that felt and that experience with that group. Because like you said, things have kind of came at you fast here in the last handful of years coaching where now all of a sudden, boom, you're early in your career and you get a section championship. Just talk about just this, the vibe around your team when you guys won that game. Uh, that's probably one of the best feelings I think me and all them probably have ever experienced in basketball. Remember, I don't know if you knew, but I had took I have been coaching these guys since eighth grade through AAU, then all the way to Apollo. And like I said, I can remember when probably when they were freshmen or sophomores, we talked about that if you guys stay on the right path and everybody get better, come your junior or senior year, we're gonna have a chance to get to state and to be able to speak that, but then to be able to live it out and play it out and win was. It was crazy. Like when I hit the floor, people, you know, when I hit the floor, I wasn't only thinking about like what I've been through to get to get there, what those players been through to get there. I mean, if you think of during the middle of the season, we lost four games in a row. We were ranked and I think we were ranked in the top five or maybe in the top 10, lost four games in a row from having to sit players, having to define roles for guys, you know, and, and just being able to guys to be good teammates. And I think if we don't go through that, if we don't go through that moment where we lose those four games in a row, I'm not sure we end up being able to win um, the section because I think that that made a break us. That, that made that's that's I had to show them some tough love throughout that time, and I think we learned a lot for that four game losing streak we had. You had a really strong personal connection with your guys, as you just mentioned. So talk about the next day. Then I know we've talked about this with a handful of other coaches. But I just think it's so important because you know winning basketball games is great, but it's the life skills with high school sports that are so valuable, which can help these kids you know propel themselves towards success. Because if they if we can help them with adversity, and so just talk about those conversations and how you guys took the news of the state tournament being canceled? Oh, man, we took it hard. Devastated. It, devastated. It, it wasn't a dry eye in the room, and that's from our athletic director to our principal, right? Because at the time that we got the call, um, that it, well, he got the text message or call that it wasn't going to happen, I was talking to players about how practice was going to go. We, was like, we were reminiscing on how last night when, you know, he hit this shot, this happened, and then the AD called us in there, and then that for happened, man, that hurt, and it hurt, it hurt me for them not for me because i think that and, I, and this is just me being who i am i think that hopefully i can get the program back there one day but who's to say if those guys will ever play in a championship game or 
they will never play in a state championship game. And I wanted it more for them than I did for me because they earned it. You know, they get all the credit for the wins. I give them the tools and they just used it. But it was a hurtful situation. And as I told them, the one thing somebody told me was like, how many teams get to finish the season with a win and with a championship win? You know, so it was tough, but I would like to see those guys on that stage. And I think it probably would help a couple of them um, get more you know, I mean, looks from colleges being able to play on the big stage. But you only can control what you can control. Your team wasn't able to do it a lot. It wasn't just us, so I wasn't even selfish about it. I felt bad not only for us, but for all the other teams in Minnesota and all the other states that wasn't able to play for a, state, for a state title but had the talent or had the opportunity to. So it was tough. It was tough. You know, it was funny. We played you guys the first game of the year. Then we lost to Delano the second game of the year. And both you guys, because I, I respect what both of you and Terry are doing at your schools and, you know, building good programs up there and having success. Uh, and I told both of you guys, like, hey, hopefully we see you guys down the road again in the state tournament. Right. And you say that in December and you're not really thinking anything of it. But, you know, sure, sure, we all three won our section. And unfortunately, we weren't able to meet again. But uh, we'll, see, we'll see you early, hopefully. Hopefully early next year. I hope so. Yes, I I hope we see everybody we're supposed to see next year. I hope we're able (laughs) to. Keeping things on schedule. You know, one thing that I've been so impressed with, and we've talked through if it's in summer tournaments and stuff before, but just like you've mentioned, like the discipline and the creating a culture of accountability within your program. So talk about, you know, maybe what it was like before you took over and then some things that you did to help uh, or maybe some of the systems you have in place to help, you know, hold, hold your kids accountable. I think one thing I do to hold our kids accountable is like they have a lot of people within the school system that they, you know what I mean, they deal with, whether it's a case manager, whether it's a social worker, somebody. So I try to always include them on how to deal with this player if he's having a disciplinary issue because I can be straightforward, but it may something may have happened at home or something may be going in the classroom that I don't know about. So I always try to be 50-50. I try to give the kid the benefit of the doubt. At the same time, we have our rules that we got to stand by. Sometimes it's tough. Like it's sometimes I set some of our better players out, and it was a, and it, it may have cost us some games, right? Like when we're doing that four game losing streak, I set guys out for disciplinary issues. But if I don't set them out, then I go against everything I said I was going to do when I took over the program. It's all like I always tell players: it's not easy for me to set you out for disciplinary issues. But if I don't, you're not going to grow as a person. Even in my own life. I had to go through disciplinary stuff, disciplinary issues for me to get where I got to get. But discipline separates good from great. Simple as that. If you don't have discipline, it's gonna it's gonna be a struggle to be a, a positive person in the world without discipline. Can you talk about some like the non-negotiables or some of the rules that you have in place? I think sometimes coaches, you know, we create that preseason handbook or have that meeting, and sometimes we can just fill kids with a bunch of stuff that goes in one ear and out the other. So, what are some of the big things that you ask of your kids? I ask them to be respectful in class. All right. Ask them to be respectful to coaches. Ask them to be respectful to their peers. Those are three non-negotiable. If you can't do that, then you're going to have disciplinary disciplinary issues. And it was a struggle at first. But for the most part, guys have got on board and understand that our coaching staff is not going to tolerate you being a bit. But basically, if you're being disrespectful, you're not being a good teammate and we're not going to tolerate that. Here's, here's what I can say about Jason is, and this isn't just, he's just not blowing smoke here and trying to sound like he knows what he's doing at Apollo. I remember playing you on a Sunday at, I think it was at the Whitney Center. And we kind of were just, you know, talking afterhand. And I, I, it doesn't matter who won. It was, a, it was a breakdown tournament, right? But I remember a couple of guys came up to you and you're like, hey, what time do workouts start tomorrow? And they're like, 6 a.m. You're like, not 6.01, not 6.05. Like, That's <laughs> yes. summer stuff, right? I mean, it's really easy in the summer mm-hmm. for us to let our guard down and be like, all right, man, you're rolling at 6.10 or you're rolling at – but being punctual even in the summer, man, I was, I was really something else I was really impressed with and I saw that firsthand. No, I think being on time is huge for kids because I think sometimes I've had kids come in and say, well, I was here at 6.01. No, practice started at 6 o'clock. Or I was here at 3.32. No, practice started at 3.30. Like I tell them, us have, telling you to be on time and being respectful is not a basketball thing. It's a life thing. And when you get into the real world and got to work with people, those are two things you have to do is be respectful and be on time. Otherwise, you're going to lose a job. 
Exactly. You know, you talk about the accountability piece, but I'm sure part of the reason why you can be hard on your guys is that you have good relationships with them. So talk about, you know, aside from coaching them for, you know, three, four years, like you mentioned, what are some of the strategies that you use to build up those positive relationships with, uh, with your players? Just let, just letting them know I'm open to have that conversation. I think for kids to have to trust you, they got to build, I mean, think for, for you to have a good relationship with kids, they got to be able to come and talk to you and be able to trust you. That whatever they have that conversation with, it's going to stay between you based on the conversation. But our guys always know they can come and have a conversation with me. I'm always going to be honest with them about their behavior. I'm all, I may even bring up, well, hey, I used to do that too. So I understand where you're coming from, but I try to be human with them, right? I try to make them sound like coach is not invincible. You know, I make mistakes too. I'm not perfect either. I'm trying to grow every day. But the thing is, you have to try to grow every day. Don't accept Accept that. Let's say you have two or three bad days. Don't accept that. Fight through that. You got to fight through adversity. And I just try to share some of the examples I've been through, some of the examples I know our former players that have probably been through, or you may use guys from pro or college, whatever. I just try to use some examples to show the guys how we can build that relationship. And then once I'm able to build that relationship, which I am an intense coach, I'm able to coach them in an intense way based on them knowing that coach is really caring. He's not just picking on me. That's what I thought of guys. I'm not picking on you. I want to see the best version of you while you're here at Apollo. That's good stuff. No, I, and I appreciate, like I said, you, you know, this is you, you're, you're practicing this. This isn't just you just saying this on for some cool sound bites on this by you. I mean, I've seen the first, I've seen the front and center. So you do a great job with that. Now let's get Thank into, you. you know, more of the, you know, we talked a bit about like the, some of the program related stuff. Let's talk about, you know, you as a coach and just kind of the stuff that you guys run. So what are some ways, cause you mentioned that your group played really well together. You had some really talented kids and like you, mentioned, you had, you'd probably handful of kids that could have started that didn't on your team this past year. So how do you get your kids to play so well as a group? I mean, first, the thing is I always use, like I said, I may use team examples. Like I always, one of the teams that I like a lot is like the five, five. So I always talk that to our, talk, talk that to our players about that team may not, they may not have won a national championship, but they had five McDonald's all Americans and they were all selfish. They were all unselfish. Or I may say, let's look at this Kentucky team to where when Carl Anthony Town and the Twins was there. I try to show them examples of teams that have balanced scoring, balanced scoring and how they're successful. Because like I told them, we can't win with just one guy averaging 20 points or two guys averaging 20 points. We will not win. And I think us having balanced scoring this year was, was a huge part of our success. So I try to show them examples of that, too. Of If he get 20, you should be happy because if he's getting 20, then now maybe you can get 18. If he's getting 16, you can get 14. We just got to have balanced scoring. And I think that's the thing you have to try to sell to kids today, whether it's at the college level or the high school level, that you're going to need three or four guys for your team to be successful. You're not just going to be successful with one guy. So you guys uh, have a section that consists of a lot of your conference teams that you see twice a year, and you probably see a couple teams that you mentioned Alexander for the third time. So you're pre you, you and your guys are probably pretty uh, well in tune with what those teams are going to run, who the guys are on those other teams. So what are some ways that you got you prepare for you as a coach prepare for games, but also how you get your guys or your players ready uh, for games as well? Well, first of all, we go scout the game. Whatever team we play, we try to go scout. We use huddle. Then once we get to practice, we'll we'll have our scout team go over some of the things those players run. I may, as I'm at the game, writing down a scouting report, so I may read that to the players um, after practice. And then we'll watch some film, too, because I think watching film helps help players a lot because sometimes your scout team, not that they're not talented, they may not be able to run the set the same way the team that just like scouting, whether it's Alex, whether it's Brainerd, whether it's Fergus. So you go watch film, and then on film we try to break down film to where this is how we want to guard this guy or this is how we want to attack them in the post. This is how we want to attack the pick and roll. So I use film a lot to try to get our guys ready. Uh, how much time do you spend on film? Like what's like 70, 30, 50, 50 between watching your, your own film and watching your opponents? 
we wa- I think we watch more of our opponents' film than we than we do our film. Sometimes our guys want to watch our film to see their own stats. They all, they, it's fun when they can when they're doing good, but when I'm stopping it and pointing out what they're doing wrong, then no nobody want to watch our film. So we try to stick to watching the opponents' film more, so we don't have too much uh, confusion in the video room. So. See. You mentioned some of the sets, you know, how much, how many uh, sets do you try to have your guys know if, if, you know, say you got Alexander on a Tuesday night in February, how many sets do you want to know versus how many, how deep do you go in your scouting reports uh, with the players uh, that you're facing? As far as the scouting report, I try to go to main motion offense that team is running. And then far as the sets, it depends because even myself, I change what sets I run game to game based on who you're playing. So far as when it comes to defending sets, it's like we just got to stick to our own defensive principles. But I try to run that main motion offense and maybe one or two sets that the team runs um, in practice. I try to have our, like I said, our scout team uh, emulate that style so we can be ready for that. So you're an aggressive team defensively. It's similar to how we play. You're, you're looking to turn teams over. Uh, and so one thing we always wrestle with is how do we address the guy who starts for the other team who just definitely isn't a threat? And we've always erred on the side of let's still play that guy aggressively because we don't want them to be a pressure release. How do you guys address if there's a team that maybe has one or two weaker offensive players? No, we try to we, – we try to – if the, if the guy is guarding one of the weaker players, that guy is trying to be a roamer, right? We try to have him be a roamer because I like to run and trap. And we switch defenses every possession. So we so it depends on what defense we is. We may be in man one possession. We may come back down and be in 3-2 zone. But if you have a player that can't score, yeah, we're going to roam away from him. But when he gets it, we're going to contest him. We're going to play him honest. We're not just going to leave him wide open because the time you decide to leave that guy wide open is the time he probably goes off 25 points. You know, so we try to make sure <laughs> – Every everybody on the scouting report, no matter how deep the bench is, we make sure that we make sure our players know they are a threat. We always had a running joke within our staff a couple few years ago, and we weren't as good. That whenever I put like role player down the scouting report, that dude would get like eighteen against us. So oh, that, I actually that, that, stopped saying that, and I just like, took those words out. Like I'll put his points per game or whatever up there. So that happened to us probably like eight or nine games last year. Seriously, <laughs> I used to go off and practice like this guy averaged eight points. And we're letting them get 25. So, no, that happens. So, I quit calling guy. And I'm one of the people I'd be like, that guy's not good. Or he's a role player. Just like you said. And he goes off for 25 or 30 or 15 and 10. So, yeah, I quit doing that too. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, November, January, March, what do your practices look like? And then how do they kind of vary from that early stage, middle of the year during the grind of January, then into like getting ready for the playoffs? Well, in November, we basically start – I basically try to start out just from like basic – Doing doing basic drills, doing our main motion offense. But most of the time in high school and high school basketball, as you know, when you got guys coming back, most of them know the offense. So that's kind of like, I, so let's say we start on Monday, and then we you know we always have that scrimmage um, Friday and record. Monday and Tuesday is Monday and Tuesday is basically tryouts, right? Then Wednesday and Thursday is basically we're doing our drills, going through our motion offense. Then after the scrimmage, then we start working on what we can get better at, right? So we start doing defensive schemes. We start doing defensive drills, offensive drills. As the season goes on, practice gets different because you're not doing as many drills. You're working mainly on what schemes you're going to play offensively and what schemes you're going to play defensively against the team you play against. We try to do a lot of skill work, though. I think I want to do – I like to do a lot of skill work in practice because I still think guys need to get in reps as far as getting up shots, or if pump fake one, dribble move, dribble drive move. But I still try to make sure we get a skill work throughout the year. So we may go to practice. Practice may be um, 5.30 to 7. We may go 7 to 7.30 skill work. Good stuff. Uh, do you shorten practices as the year goes on, or are you kind of right around that hour 45, two minutes uh, up until the end of the year? I started off with two hours my first two years, and then I ended up talking to Dean, and he's like, yeah, by, by the time you get January and February, guys, you know, and, and, I, and I noticed that, that guys were starting to, like, 
wear down. So we went into an hour and a half practice because I think you can do what you got to get done in an hour and a half if you go hard. A lot of times we were struggling with you're not going hard. Okay, we're going to keep practicing. But at the end of the day, after I think an hour and a half to two is pretty much it. But late in the season, like we were just talking about, I think an hour and a half is good towards late. How much five on five do you guys play in practice? We just started doing a lot more this year, like not a lot more this past year. Last year, we didn't do as much. This year, we started doing a lot five-on-five, five, and it actually helped our guys understand our not only the, the team's offense we playing against, but other offense. So, like, you know, you may have a set. You may have that first option may be there. When then you're going against your own teammates, now you got to use your second and third option. So I would say we probably play 50-50 five-on-five in practice. Just depends. How much do you jump in during five-on-five five and coach them up, or do you kind of let them play through mistakes? I coach them up. I coach them up. Sometimes I don't play in it, but sometimes I let them go through. But last year it got to the point to where I was trying to get better personally as a defensive coach. So I stopped them a lot of times just for my own growth. So sometimes I let them go. Sometimes we'll stop it. But I try not to be like stop every, every play because I know that can get annoying to players and even coaches. So I'm going a little tangent here just because I thought of something as you were talking about jumping in five on five. You added uh, Preston Whitaker to your staff this past year, who I played a, you know, AU played a high school That's game. I was at Brainerd. He was at St. Cloud. He was a legend, real good player in the NSIC. So he said you he talked had, a lot of trash. He said you I, talked a lot of trash. For my ability levels, I ran my mouth too much. Yeah, I, I, uh-huh. which is, you know what? And I tell my players that, I, I don't know, like, Within our, you know, we had a, uh, one of our assistant coaches joined a couple of years ago. And one thing I'm like, I kind of like when guys like have a little swagger and say a little bit like you hit a shot, like yep. let them know, yep. like, you know, mm-hmm. this shouldn't be boring. Like basketball should be fun, right? You're not going to, you know, swear at the dude or call him an MF or whatever, but you're going to like, Hey, I, you know, guard me. Like just like simple stuff right. like that. But does press never lace them up and go at your guys and show them uh, his true legend status at Apollo? I think he did maybe one or two times in open gym, but no, he hasn't. Him and Mike, him and Mike Gravel played one-on-one. Then I think it was 1-1, but I told Mike if he'd have called Preston his prime, he probably wouldn't be able to score. But Preston's one of the better defenders I've seen. But adding him to our staff was huge this year. It was really huge because he could speak from what Apollo meant when he played from it. As you said, when those guys were freshmen, the Apollo Fars, it wasn't as good as what it had been, like you said, when Dean was there. But Preston could speak to, like, how you got to hold accountable, how Dean held them accountable. Because I try to take some stuff from my own my own philosophy, but add some stuff from Dean's philosophy and mix it together to build the program. And knock on wood, so far it's been working. But it's good to have a player that's been through that that can speak to that for you so kids ain't just like, oh, coach just talking. No, Preston can speak to the truth about it. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, I think sometimes coaches get into trouble when they come in, they want to reinvent the wheel and change everything, right? Because in most mm-hmm. cases, yep. you're not getting a brand new team. You're getting yep. kids who, you know, a lot of kids is 10th, 11th, and 12th graders were in the program the year before as 9th, 10th, and 11th graders. And if you try to change everything, you're going to be playing catch up all year. I think it's really important, like you mentioned, to kind of focus on things you want to focus. And for you, it seems like it was, it seems like it was a lot of the you know, accountability and discipline. And, and, think, and then yeah. you can slowly add more pieces to what uh, you want your program to look like. Um, offensively now, I know you guys are you're really good defensively. You switch a lot of stuff up. Let's talk on the offense side of the ball first. Uh, for teams that aren't familiar with the Eagles, what are you looking to run? Um, you know, how much of it is what you do is motion versus set base? So just give us a general overview of your guys' offensive philosophy. Uh, our offensive philosophy is basically pushing the ball up the floor, trying to score quick, right? If it's not there, and it's be- I think your offensive philosophy changed based on the personnel. The last three years, I've had five or six guys that can break you down off the dribble. So sometimes we may run the Memphis offense that John Calipari used to run. We run some of the Gonzaga uh, pick and roll, and then we had we've had big guys. So sometimes we run the Villanova four out, one in. You know, I try to I try to be the coach that let guys. 
it's like uh, not not hold guys back, right? So I try to let them play to their ability. So like, if you think you can get to the basket, that's fine. But in our dribble drive offense, you only can dribble three times. After that, you need to give. It. I mean, well, do they dribble more? I'm a, my philosophy is if you can't score off three or four dribbles, pass the ball. And that's something I was able to implement to those guys. But they didn't really. I felt like we didn't really get successful with that until this senior year. Where they understand drive and kick. We understand drive and throw up layup. We didn't understand. Drive. <laughs> you know what I mean, we understood drive and kick this year, and we just made that extra pass. And so I just like to get up and down, like to do a lot of pick and roll, like to do some isolation situations. But like I said, I like to let guys play to their strength until I feel like, hey, let me get in. And so I try not to tell guys like, hey, this ain't now you have court shot into a shot. But I try to tell guys, I'm trying to, I will never take you out most of the time over a shot, but I will take you out over a turnover and not getting back on defense. So I, whenever we've scouted you or we've played you and you know, we have some common opponents down the, you know, later in the year and I kind of rewatch you playing a team where I'm not really watching you guys, but obviously you're the other team. Uh, it seems like a, the, the main core, what you guys run is the Memphis, the dribble drive stuff. So what are some of your, you know, you mentioned the three dribbles. What are some other, you know, teaching points that you guys are looking to uh, work with your guys on or, or have your guys, or rules that you, you have your guys follow within that offense? Well, first of all, you got to move, right? I think some guys see when you start dribbling, guys are standing. Well, if you're standing while that guy's dribbling, by the time he's ready to make it past, the fender's sitting there waiting on you because they're standing. So no matter what, you got to move. We try to have the guy on the block. He's opposite side or whatever side the guy drives. So you can dish off to this guy. If it's not there, you get it to the wing and he starts it. But you have to get deep down in the paint. I don't need you trying to attack around the perimeter. I need you when you get it because it's like a wheel offense. I need you turning the corner trying to get into the paint, trying to get deep as you can. And so that's one of our rules in there. Also, too, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Like, you know, sometimes guys will come down seven, eight times, dribble ball seven, eight times, three, four, and move. You just got to keep moving. But you always got to be willing to make that extra pass in a dribble drive offense because if you're not, there's no reason for us to do it. If I, like I try to tell guys, our Memphis offense isn't one-on-one. It's get the ball inside, kick it out, or get the ball inside and score. But we're not going to get the ball inside and dribble, 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 dribble. You have to have movement, ball movement and player movement for that offense to be successful. But you have to have the personnel that can play that offense too. How, what are your rules for your five or your big guy in, the, in, in your dribble drive? He just he got he just had, he stays on the block opposite side. So for our five, he goes opposite side of the driver. For our four, he trails the driver. So at wherever the driver is going on the wheel, so the driver may go to the right. That four guy is at the top of the key trailing them. And then if he hands it off to the three, but well, that four is trailing them there. So when he dribbles down into the paint, he has somebody to kick it back out to. And that's what that worked for us really well because our guys can penetrate so deep in the lane, and they're willing. They were willing to kick it out this year. Okay. Do you guys get a lot of drop down passes here? Five. Do you feel like that's a shot that you know you get a lot? You get a lot of. This year was the year we got. It. We had in the past. Honestly, we had in the past. It was dribble drive. I'm gonna get my get my pull up jump shot. I'm gonna get to the layup. But this year, Michael Gravel, Chang Hoff, Jalen Williams, even Porsche the They did a really good job of getting into the paint and dropping it off to our five. And we had a five that was willing to post up and finish this year. So that that was huge too. Thomas is strong in there. So. so we talked about your five. We talked about the four. What are the non-guards, maybe your two or three, if it's a more traditional numbering system, or just the other guards or wings? How are they moving off of penetration? So whatever, like, so if that guy dribbles towards you, it's just a handoff. It's a complete handoff. So when he dribbles toward the wing, he's handing off to you. But your job is to turn the corner. If you can't, you go over to the, you, you dribble over to the wing and you hand it off there. And that guy's trying to get in the paint. But the guards are trying to just like a wheel. It's like a wheel action trying to get into the paint. And like I said, the four and the five is opposite of that. And then the four is trailing that. So you have somebody to kick back out. But the offense is not going to work unless we get deep into the paint with the penetration. Transition offense here before we get to defense. Transition-wise, do you have set lanes that you want guys running in or are the spots relatively interchangeable? 
relatively interchangeable this year i'm working on doing that where we got set one two three four five this is how you run because i believe this year we won't be as tall as we've been in the past so we're so in the past, we're going to try to score real quick, and so we're going to try to do that Michigan State class Kansas push it up to court offense this year as far as in our fast break. Good stuff. Uh, defensively, now you mentioned that you will switch between man and zone. Um, what? How much do you work on? Because I know you guys will switch it up. Usually it's like, you know, the teams that mix it up, it's like make this, miss this, or switch on a free throw. But you guys are just switching up on the fly sometimes. So how do you, do you, how do you work on that in practice to make it seem so seamless? We work on it through, like, you know, we play a lot of breakdown tournaments in the summer. So we worked on a lot in the summer and we worked on it a lot in practice. But sometimes it just goes off the motion of what I'm feeling what's going to work or what I'm feeling has been working. We may start out in a diamond press. That may not work, so I may switch to a 2-2-1 press. That may not work, so we switch to a quarter-court diamond press. That may not work, we go to three. But what, where we're really good at is when we're getting steals in a 2-2-1 two, two, and, then, and then we're switching it to a diamond, that's where we're good because then you get to confuse the coaches on what they are, what press are you in. So it just I depends. No, go ahead. Sorry. It just depends on how the night's going, honestly. I never come out at night and say, we're going to go diamond all night or we're going to go 2-2-1 two, two, all night or we're going to go three all night. just depends on how the night's going, and it depends on the personnel you got. Like, it was a while when we tried to press you guys. We had to get out of it because you had so many guys hitting threes. So sometimes there's times where I'm like, we can press this team and get to beat us, and we have to get out to press and just play strong half-court defense. That, there was, I think defense was a term that maybe wasn't thrown around too much that first game <laughs> of the year. Uh, that second Friday when we when we play, and it'll probably you know sounds of it. You guys looking to play fast, so we're looking to play fast. It seems like we're just gonna don't have to run a clock, just put hundred up, and whoever uh, gets there will we'll win. But uh, man to man defensively, what are some of your teaching points? I know you mentioned that you're gonna roam off of a guy who maybe isn't as effective. What are some of your teaching points? Uh, are you looking to trap anywhere in the half court on man? Uh, what are some things yeah. you guys to achieve on that end? Um, in half court, if you're one pass away, you're in denial. If you're two passes away, you're in help. Um, at times, we may switch everything. Like I said, based on the personnel we're playing, we may switch everything. As far as pick and rolls, we usually just go over pick and rolls. We may double, but with, with today's game, it's tough to double because we're playing. Most teams we play, we've played this year, besides maybe two or three, have all five guys that can shoot. So now it's hard to double because you're scrambling. Once you get a defense scrambling, good defenses can get some stops, but also you're going to pass up some open threes. And we just we, – we had that happen too much this year. So we just stayed solid and played uh, straight up man-to-man. You mentioned your presses. Let's talk about your 3-2 or some of your half-court zones. What are some of you – what are you guys looking to accomplish when you switch to a half-court zone? When we're going to 3-2, if we go 3-2, a team – I'm looking for guys to force a team to shoot the threes on the ring. Like, if you can't shoot it, we're going to go 3-2. Or we may switch it up 3-2 and go a trap that we have that we haven't done a lot, but it has been successful when we had to do it. But when we go in a 3-2 zone, I'm looking to get the team and try to turn over the ball because I'm hoping they're going to make that cross court on the wing trying to get to the corner where we have our guy there. So it just depends. But that's the most of the zone that we run the most is a 3-2 zone. When you, when you do a 3-2, are you sliding the top guy down or do you keep him kind of free throw lining up? Free throw lining up. Yep, try to keep them free throw line up because I know a lot of times that's where the team try to beat zone out, beat you in a zone too, is from the middle, you know, I mean, from inside out. And so sometimes we would slide that guy down, that other guard would slide down too. So now the, high, the opposite guard would slide down too that, that wasn't on ball side. Now the high post is open, and most guys can hit that consistent 15 foot jump shot if you open. So we try to keep our middle guy um, in the 3 2 zone up so he can have help at the high post. 
Uh, so last thing here we'll do, I'm, I'm going to run you through a situ situation, Tom, I'm going to throw this on you. We didn't, I did, we didn't prep this. So I want to see how you would respond to this in this situation because as coaches, obviously things come at us fast. So here's your situation. Uh, you're down three with the ball. So down three with the ball, we got 15 seconds left and you have one timeout. So down three with the basketball, 15 seconds left and one timeout. Uh, are you getting a th first, uh, first question? Are you looking for a three or are you looking for a quick two? If you ask me my first year coach, I'm looking for the three to tie it up. But now I'm looking for the quick two, get a foul, get it back in. Hopefully they miss. So let's say they hit, say we get a quick two, we get a foul, they go back up three. Then we're going for the three. If not, we're going to get a quick foul. If they miss it, then I'm just going high screen, pick and roll with Michael Gravel and push the balls and get the win. That's what I'm doing. So, so you're going high, high, high pick and roll. Uh, all right. So what happens, you know, when, when do you use that timeout, right? Because I know we want to save that timeout in case we, so we score, we can call a timeout, set up our press. But at what point are you like, oh, crap, we need to call that timeout, and we got to run a play for a three? Do you have like five seconds, eight seconds? Where are you at with when you would jump in with that timeout? As soon as they get done with the free let's, – so let's, let's say we come down, score the quick two, okay. they, hit the, they hit the free throw. We're calling a timeout after that. After that, you have to give that timeout. What about things break down on the front end of that? So you're still down three ball, 15 seconds left. You know, they maybe switch your pick and roll or whatever. Now you're, you're – when are you throwing that time out to try to get a, get a three at the end of the horn? Trying to get a three, hopefully trying to get a three like on a back screen. You know what I mean? Like have my guy dribble towards his guy and then have a baseline guy coming up and set a back screen. It's one of the plays we run at Apollo. Knock on wood, so far we always get a wide open shot. But I'm trying to get a – I'm not trying to just get have a guy come down and do a freestyle move and pull up a three. You're trying to even have a guy come off a double screen or I'm trying to have a guy come off a back screen for a three in the corner. All right, last question here, bonus question. I know we've both been Tana texting here the last few days and emailing about our summer stuff. So you guys have kind of been rolling since June 15th. I know uh, more in the Metro, a lot of teams just kind of got fired up here after the 4th of July. So talk about how you or what your summer programming has looked like, how it's been different from years past and, and what, what things look like when you're in the gym, uh, you know, next week. Uh, well, our summer program, when you first come in, when you first come in, you used to come in and you used to come in our building any door. Now you only can come in in door 12. When you first get in there, you have to have a mask on while in the hallways. We have a uh, person from our district that checks your temperature. You sign your name in. If you don't have a mask, he gives you a mask. You can have, you can have uh, your mask off in the gym, but it has to be on in the hallway. Then once we get in the summer, my thing is just getting up a lot of shots and working on moves, you know, and working on defensive slides a lot. I think the first thing, um, that it comes to defense. A lot of kids don't play defense because they don't have the right positioning. So I try to work on defensive slides, getting up a lot of shots in the summer. If I want to add a new offense, work on that. So lately we've been working on, like like me and you had just talked about, um, how we're going to run our fast break this next year. That's what we've been working on um, so far. But practices, um, it's interesting to see how practice is going to go for the rest of the summer because we don't have no breakdown sports. And it's easy to have practice. It's easy for guys to oh, I'm coming to practice. I'm playing a tournament. Now you're going to find out, I think, who's really wanting to get better because we don't have no games this summer. You know, so I got to I got to get more creative, too, because it does. After a while, practices does get old scrimmage against the same guy. So I got to be more creative, too. Um, like I said, in the summer, we like to get up a lot of shots, work on a lot of dribble moves and just get better offensively, defensively, whatever that may be. I never do the same drills every day. We try to switch it up every day so the guys don't get bored. Are you running stuff 9 through 12, 7 through 12? What, what's, what's the age range of the guys you're bringing um, in the We go about like 7 through 12, like 7 through 12, right? This year we actually uh, – well, last year we had an eighth grader up on varsity. Um, this year we're going to have another one up on varsity, so he comes a lot. So, But mainly um, 7 through 12, but this year is the first year that we're doing 7 through 12. In the past we had just did 9 through 12. Do you notice all of your guys or the majority of the guys that you expected are, are there and not staying home because of COVID, or are you yeah, – most of your guys missing? 
most of our guys are there that I expected to be there. We haven't had anybody miss because COVID. We had guys miss because they have other sports, but so far we haven't had anybody miss because of COVID. The guys that are supposed to be there have been there. It's good stuff. Coach, uh, before we go, do you have anything else that you want to share, things that coaches could, uh, you know, could write down and learn from you, the, the success you've had in such a short time uh, at Apollo? I just wanted to add, ask you, how, how did you deal with uh, not being able to go to the state? How, how, did, how did that work for you? Not, yeah, you know, it's not something weird. I, I know I haven't really addressed that too much in here. You know, the, it was, it was you know, the one, one way I would describe it is it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And the fact that we were there the year before and kids knew the experience, to yeah. me, again, I, I felt like they took it a little bit harder because, you know, there was, you know, we had, we graduated five seniors that were really, really good for us the year before and had a lot of success. And then, so these guys were all kind of hungry for their opportunity. Uh, and then to have to, to qualify for the state tournament and know, okay, we're going to play at Williams. We're going to stay in the hotel. If we win, yep. we play on TV, like all that sort of stuff. That was the hard part. You know, I, I, I usually, you know, that Friday I, I get a, a staff day or a, um, our AD lets us me come over there and we, uh, and I get to do all the paperwork and get like the seating stuff and all that stuff organized. So I was in actually in the AD's office when we found out. I was actually, I was actually texting Andre from Mound. Mound was talking mm-hmm. about seeds, right? And I was like, ah, do I have a claim over Apollo and Austin to get the five, right? That's kind of, right. so I was texting him about that. And he mm-hmm. literally was responding, sent me a text, you know, and I looked at it like, all right, I didn't respond. And then he buzzed in again. He's like, hey, I'm sorry about the state tournament. I was like, what? So I go to Twitter and I saw John Malay's tweet. And so I was actually over at the high school and I was there for the guys and they were really bummed out about it. Um, and we had that conversation kind of like what you had leading yeah. into the section finals. You only can control what you can control. And, you know, unfortunately yeah. they weren't able to have that game. But like you said, I think there's a lot of closure in at least having your section final, like they get their trophy. They know that they, like you said, they won their last game. The teams that I've really felt for was the teams who didn't even get to play their section final. And the yeah, girls' yeah. teams, you know, like Becker, who's mm-hmm. close to both of our our schools, they were in the yeah. state girls. They were in the state championship game, right? And they didn't even. Yeah. Like, that would be really. That would have almost been more difficult, I think. That would have Knowing yes. at least for yeah. us to say, hey, we won our section. You know, we weren't beating many haha academy. So, like, you know, it is what it is. Right. Uh, no, but yeah, that, but... that's kind of how we dealt with it. it the kids were definitely down. Um, yeah. there were less less tears than I thought. Um, granted, mm-hmm. they kind of found out at ten, and then we met as a team at three. So that might have had that moment on their own, but. Yeah, that was, that, that was how we dealt with it. That's tough, man. No, man, I, was gonna say, I got a lot of respect for your programs. I remember seeing you when I was a assistant. I remember seeing you just started. And you one of the guys that coach like me, too. Like, you kind of get hyped with your, you get hyped with your players. You high-fiving them. So, I really respect the, uh, the style you coach and your philosophy, man. And I, I, and I have, I have I fun playing that. against you last year. Yeah, and I like I like playing against teams like where we don't have you know our philosophy is that Princeton we don't and I want to make this about me I want to make this about you but we try to just let the kids play mostly and we try yeah. to structure practice and work on our concepts and I like I, I personally like to play even though you guys are good I like to yeah. play teams like you guys who are gonna just kind of play the same way I don't like when teams try to you know set us to death or slow it down it makes it like I love coaching but it makes it a little less fun because I just want kids to go go play and go get shots up and attack and keep the yep. ball going and not a lot of falls and so yeah it's always fun playing you guys and you know coach I really hope we knock on wood we're able to have a normal schedule and we'll see you in that first one there uh early December and uh yep. actually we play tech first because we had a snow game so we did, we'll play tech and then you guys but yeah I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you guys here down the road and uh stay safe I know you're at your daughter's graduation in Indiana so congratulations to her and thank uh, you. You know, stay that. safe and uh, safe travels. You too. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You have a good summer. You too. All right.